following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, January 14th, 2024, on the basis of Romans 6, verses 1 through 11. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So evidently, this past Friday was kind of a significant day for about four out of five people in the room this morning. No, I'm not talking about all of the snow that we got and how probably about four out of five of you didn't even have to leave the house and certainly didn't want to leave the house at all on Friday. No, evidently, this company that's known as Strava that produces a social media app that's designed specifically for posting and sharing with other people the workouts that you do, evidently, they did some research back in 2019 and they found out that 80% of people give up on their New Year's resolutions by the second Friday in January. And so as a result, this second Friday in January, this past Friday, has come to be known as Quitter's Day. But you know, there was something kind of interesting about this article about Quitter's Day that I was reading, something that kind of indicates to me what sort of seems like a change in our modern world. You see, the article was not about encouraging people to stick with their resolutions past just the first couple of weeks of the new year. No, instead, the article was about how this life where we are constantly setting goals for ourselves, where we are constantly tracking our progress and even posting and sharing our progress, where there's even an app where we can share the workouts that we do with other people, this life where it seems like everybody has not only their day job, but also a side hustle. This life where we use expressions like rise and grind. How this life is actually doing a great deal of harm to us. And how instead, we should learn to set much more realistic expectations for ourselves. How we should learn not to push ourselves too hard. How we should remember to take time for the all-important self-care. In other words, the article suggested that maybe it wasn't such a bad thing if a person would give up their New Year's resolutions just 12 days into the New Year. In fact, maybe it was kind of a good thing. So it seems the world that we live in kind of presents us with these two different options for how we are going to define who we are. Either we are going to continuously be setting goals for ourselves, continuously striving to achieve those goals, never being content with the way things are, never being satisfied with the status quo, or we are going to work toward acceptance. We're going to learn to be content with the way that things are and be happy with how we are. In other words, we could either be the perpetual hustler or the happy quitter. So which one are you? Perhaps much more importantly, which of those two do you think God would want you to be as you think about your relationship with him and your life as his child? Let's say we're not just talking about our weight and our appearance. Let's say we're not just talking about our education and our career. We're not just talking about relationships and romance. Let's say we're talking about our relationship with God and our life as his child. Do you think that God wants you to be continually setting new goals for your spiritual habits and for your faith in God. Goals that you're continuously striving to accomplish, never content with the way things are, 
never content with the status quo? Or do you think that you should work toward simple acceptance, being content, knowing that God loves you just fine as is? Would God want you to be the perpetual hustler or the happy quitter? Well, as is often the case, whenever the world presents us with one of two options to pick between, we find out that God settles for neither one and instead gives us something that is far better than both. And that's exactly what Paul points us to in these words from Romans chapter 6 this morning. In these verses, Paul is going to point us to one specific day of our life, a very defining day on which something all-important happened to us. And as he points us to that important day, his encouragement to you is this. Let this one day define you daily. So throughout this season of Epiphany, we're talking about how Jesus came to be the Savior of all people, and yet how that salvation is delivered to us in very individual and specific ways. And these verses from Romans are a perfect illustration of that. In this section of Romans, Paul is talking about humanity's relationship with sin. And in these verses, he makes it clear that sin is not just this behavior that we do from time to time. Sin is not even just a habit that we can easily fall into. Sin is not even just an addiction that sometimes we struggle to escape. No, instead, Paul pictures sin like an evil, cruel tyrant, an evil master that has enslaved all of humanity ever since sin first entered the world through Adam. And yet, thankfully, Jesus came to change humanity's relationship to sin. By being born as one of us, by placing himself in line with us and actually placing himself under humanity's guilt, Jesus made himself a subject of sin's cruel reign, which meant that Jesus had to undergo what sin demands all of its subjects undergo. Jesus had to die to sin. And yet, because Jesus' death was innocent, Jesus also rose back to life again, now completely free and clear of sin, no longer under sin's cruel reign, but now instead under God's loving reign. And in the verses that come just before these, Paul makes it very clear that this is something Jesus did for all humanity. In fact, he says that Jesus did this as a second Adam. Just as Adam sinned, was everyone's sin, so also Jesus' death was everyone's death, and Jesus' resurrection was everyone's resurrection. But now in these verses, Paul takes that universal truth and he makes it very personal. He says, what has happened to absolutely everyone has also happened to us. Paul says that those who are Christians, those who believe in Jesus, have had his death made their death. Those who are Christians have had his burial made their burial. Those who are Christians have had his resurrection made their resurrection. And so as a result, all who are Christians have a completely new relationship to sin. We too have died to it, just as Jesus did. We too have risen to a brand new life just as Jesus did. And so we too are no longer under sin's cruel reign, but instead are under God's loving reign. 
So what do you suppose that has to say about who you are and how you would define yourself and what God expects out of you as one of his children? Well, Paul's words, for starters, point out that the way we define ourselves as God's children is not in terms of how we have related to each and every instance of sin in our life. We are not defined by those sins that we have found ourselves perpetually falling into. We are not defined by the sins that we have resolved to stop committing. We, have, we are not defined by the way we have strived to keep that resolution. We are not defined by the resolutions that we have failed to keep or even the resolutions that we have succeeded in keeping. In terms of our relationship to sin, God is not looking for a group of perpetual hustlers. No, the only way out of sin, the only way out of its cruel and evil reign is to die to it. And that is exactly what has happened. All those who have faith in Jesus have died to sin just as he did. But that also means, on the other hand, as Paul points out, why would those who have died to sin want to live under it any longer? That evil, cruel tyrant has been overthrown in your life. Why would you want to continue to play by his rules? Why would you want to continue to follow his commands? And so also, when it comes to sin, God is not looking for a group of happy quitters, a group of people who just say, well, God will love me, no matter what I do. No, instead, Paul says that all those who are Christians, all those who have faith in Jesus, have risen to a brand new life, just as Jesus did. So a Christian can define himself or herself by, first of all, knowing that they have once and for all died to sin, that they're no longer under, under its control. And a Christian can also define themselves by saying that they have risen to this brand new life. A new being has risen to live for God. Except that's not exactly what Paul says. He doesn't say that all of these things are true of Christians. He says that those who are baptized have died and risen with Christ. In fact, Paul says that it is through baptism that we have died and risen to, with Christ. In other words, baptism is the means that God used to make Jesus' death our death. Baptism is the instrument that God used to make Jesus' resurrection from the dead our resurrection. Now, I don't want to give the impression that these two things, being a Christian and being baptized, are somehow different or opposing things. Not at all. In fact, baptism is the way by which many of us became Christians in the first place, especially if we were baptized as young children. But even for those who became Christians a little bit older in life through hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm guessing you were baptized shortly thereafter, right at the start of your relationship with God. And so being baptized and being a Christian are not somehow different or opposing things. And yet, the Apostle Paul wants to take this new inner definition, this new reality about who we are, that we are dead to sin and raised to God. And he wants to attach it to something very visible and something external, something that happened in our life at a very specific place and at a very specific time. Not something that we did, but something that was done to us, something that once it had happened, 
could never unhappen. So why do you suppose Paul would do that? Why do you suppose God would institute and establish baptism in the first place? Well, it means that this inner and invisible reality of who we are as children of God is not just something we have to think. It's not just something we have to sense. It's not just something we have to feel or experience inside. Because sometimes that completely new definition of who we are is not going to match up with what we see. And it's not going to match up with what others see. And so what if someone comes along and accuses us based on what they correctly see that as far as they can tell, we have no different relationship with sin as Christians than anybody else? What happens when Satan comes along and he wants to throw our sins in our face and say, see, some Christian you turned out to be. What happens when we, based on what we see, don't feel don't sense, and maybe even don't think that this new definition of who we are, dead to sin and alive to God, can possibly be true of us. It's in moments like that where we can be thankful for this blessing of baptism, where God gives us something that is completely outside of us, completely external and yet completely visible and tangible to hold on to. You see, you and I can be absolutely certain that when Jesus died to sin, when Jesus rose to new life, he was doing that not just for himself, he was doing that for all humanity. And why can we be certain of that? Because at his baptism, he connected himself to all of humanity. And in the very same way, even when all of the evidence and all of our own feelings might suggest otherwise, you and I can be confident that we have died to sin and risen to God. Our baptism gives us something clear, something definite, something external and tangible for us to hold on to. So it would seem to me as though the day of your baptism was kind of a pretty important day in your life, wouldn't you agree? So tell me what day was it? I'm guessing you remember the day you were born, or at least the anniversary of that date that comes along every year. If you are married, hopefully you remember the anniversary of the day that you are married. So tell me, on what day, in time, were you baptized? If you don't remember, it would be a good thing for you to find out. But even if you can't, for some reason, or even if you do find out, but then at some point later in life, you forget once again. There is a way for us to remember our baptism that is even more important than simply mentally remembering the specific day on which it happened. And that's what Paul talks about at the very end of these verses. For the first 10 verses, he's talking about things that have happened in the past. When you were baptized, you were joined to Christ in his death, and you were joined to Christ in his resurrection. But right at the end, in the very last verse, he brings things up to the present day. And he answers those all important questions of so what and now what. And he says this, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word count 
is a word that Paul borrows from the world of finance. This idea of counting is something an accountant would do when they are putting a number from a purchase or a sale in one column or another. Well, in this case, the number is you. And the two columns that are available to you are the cruel reign of sin or the kind and loving reign of your Father in heaven. Which column do you belong in? Paul says, count, present tense, every single day, count yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. So yes, baptism is something that happened in your life once at a very specific time and place, and yet baptism is something that each and every day gives you the power to do all over again the very thing that first happened when you were baptized. Every single day, you can look at sin and say to it, Sorry, pal, I don't belong to you anymore. That's not me anymore. Every single day, you can look at the sins that you have committed over the course of the past 24 hours, and you can speak honestly about them. You can say that they're not simply mistakes. They're not just bad decisions made by an otherwise good person. No, they are the type of behavior that is done by someone who is still under the reign and rule of sin. And so you can again say, I died to that. That's not me. That's not who I am. And instead, in its place, you can stare at a brand new life. A life where you are forgiven. A life where you are redeemed. A life where God looks at you and he sees you as holy and pure. And you can say, that's me. That's who I am. That two-step process where we repeat what first happened at our baptism is what we refer to as repentance. And it's the very thing that we do just about every single time we gather here in God's house as we start out by acknowledging our sin and receiving his gracious word of forgiveness. But that two-step process of repentance is also something that Paul wants to be the daily rhythm and essence of the Christian life. That every single day we would count ourselves dead to sin and now alive with Christ. It happened once, but every single day that is your power and privilege because you are baptized. You know, there was something else kind of interesting about that article I was reading about Quitter's Day. What was surprising to me is that even for those who decided to give up their New Year's resolutions on the second Friday in January each year, the day is not referred to as Quitting Day, but Quitter's Day. So evidently, the same type of people who had come up with a social media app for sharing workouts with other people are also the kind of people who think that if you give up on just one resolution, it's not just that you quit, it's that your entire life is now defined as being a quitter. Well, thankfully, what seems like it's a little bit cruel when it comes to our New Year's resolutions is unbelievably good news when it comes to baptism. You see, it means that given this choice between being a perpetual hustler or being a happy quitter is not a choice we have to make. It means that we don't have to spend the rest of our life striving to set ourselves free from sin or being okay with the fact that we are helpless against sin. 
The day that we were baptized is not just dying day or rising day. Instead, it is dyer's day and riser's day. It happened once, but it defines everything about who we are. And for that very reason, when we get to the end of our service today, we're not going to sing, I was baptized into Christ. Instead, we're going to sing, I am baptized into Christ. Because, friends, even more important than remembering the specific day on which you were baptized is that each and every day you would define yourself above all else by remembering that you are baptized in Christ Jesus. Amen.